Hey everybody, welcome to the All About Nothing podcast. I am Barrett Gruber. This week's episode is going to be interviewing Ryan Thompson. He is the Democratic nominee for South Carolina House District 106. We talk about all of the things on his platform and what it is he's campaigning for, how he's going to best represent the demographic for his area and his district. We get into all of that. So make sure to stick around for the entire show. It's fantastic. Also want to say thank you very much for listening. Remember, whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, please subscribe. If you can and it has it available, give us one of those five-star ratings. Or if you could, uh, go ahead and give us a thumbs up. Also, go a step further. Maybe share the show with your friends. I'm not saying you have to acknowledge that you believe everything that I say, but just know you can share it, and uh, it would also drive up some of our listenership. So that would be great. Again, thank you very much for listening. Here comes the show. This episode of the All About Nothing podcast is brought to you by GOT Sound Studio. GOT Sound Studio offers a variety of experiences. Music, voice, and instrumental recording and production, video, and still photography. GOT Sound Studio has all of your media needs met. Owned and operated by Dominique Stewart, the Neek the Geek, experienced artists as well as up-and-coming will find everything they need to create. Bring your media needs to one of the most talented producers and engineers in the business, Neek the Geek. You can find details by visiting gotsoundstudio.com or calling 803-243-2302. You can also find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. Recorded live from the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina, this is the All About Nothing Podcast. The views expressed on this program are the opinions of the host. Some content and subject matter may not be appropriate. Listener discretion is advised. Listeners are encouraged to follow the show at theallaboutnothing.com for links to social media and more. Listeners can call the show at 803-672-0533. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody. Welcome to the All About Nothing podcast. I want to jump right into this episode. I am joined this morning by Democratic nominee for South Carolina House District 106, born and raised in Horry County. Welcome, Ryan Thompson. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be up in Columbia. Yeah, no, I, I was I was really glad that we could work out our schedules to make sure that we we got you in person. Just to kind of go over some of your resume that I was able to pull. Uh, student body president for College of Charleston. Yep, that's big. Uh, political director of the College uh, or College Democrats of South Carolina. You interned for uh, Democratic nominee for South Carolina gubernatorial race Joe Cunningham. Yep. Was that recently or was that the last race? So I interned in his um, Washington, D.C. office for fall 2020. I got to do a Washington semester program. Okay. So I got to study in D.C. and then be up there during the 2020 election, which like if it's like the Super Bowl of politics right. for me is like I see everything like in the race and just regular politics. I look at it from a political scientist perspective first before a candidate or a strategist. And so to me, it was just fascinating to be able to be part of the reaction, like yeah. when results went out, um, when RBG died, I lived right behind the Supreme Court. So me and my oh, friends okay. were the first people there, like being part of the reaction instead of having to wait for when are we going to the state house or when are we marching here? You know, it was just such a unique experience. Yeah. Were you able to get a lot of the Washington off of you? <laughs> so like DC was fun at first because of everything being new but after being there for a while i definitely would like call my mom and say i just miss the comforts of home of sure. being in the south just people don't like to have regular random conversations on the street oh, yeah also the cost of living there is 
terrible. So coming from South Carolina up there, I was very shell shocked with my wallet. But sure. it was a great experience, but it definitely made me appreciate what I have here at home more. Yeah. Yeah, I think it goes without saying Atlanta. I, I lived in Atlanta for years mm-hmm. and recent, well, within the last 10 or so years, looked at the possibility of moving back uh, for a job and couldn't even come to an agreement on salary because I knew how much it was going to cost. And I, and that was based on me taking public transit every day. Oh, wow. So that was, that was, that was a shell shock as well. You, uh, you ran unopposed. Yeah. So I didn't have any primary opposition, which isn't too uncommon for Democrats in my area. Cause getting a Democrat to run in the first place is a feat in and of itself. And most people just run in the Republican primary, assuming you win that primary, you're good for November. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that Daniel Duncan and I discussed. So thank you very much for running because it's, it's not easy because you had mentioned before when we were talking that, uh, you were, you were willing to almost run anybody else's campaign, but nobody would step up. Uh, my district that I live in, uh, in Lexington County, RJ may Mm -hmm. is, uh, who represents us right now. And he's running again, uh, but there were no Democrats that opposed him. And I didn't know that until after the filing date. Um, I did know that there were a couple of people that I had spoken to that were willing to run at one time. Mm-hmm. And I told them I would help them run their campaign, but we it just didn't come together. And then he got to sit in the House of Representatives for two years, unopposed. Yep. He basically was gifted a job. Uh, so forcing forcing both parties to actually have decent platforms to mm-hmm. you know and policies that they want to promote or, or things that they want to legislate um, is is absolutely important in in all of this um, when it came to your decision what was the reaction uh, as far as like family and friends yeah so my mom actually went with me to go file her she's been my like rock star through all of this been cool. like my biggest supporter she's my best friend so we went together. So she was super supportive. My family's been all in. It's kind of at first was a family affair. I have a brother-in-law that did graphics that made my logo. They look good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And then my one sister has done fundraising for nonprofits. So she's been helping me on that. end. so kind of just utilizing the skills my family and friends have had to kind of get it off the ground. And then now at this point, finally having my opponent and being at a much better place than we were to start with and knowing what gears to kick it in. I have my launch party this coming Wednesday. So, okay. Yeah. Sorry to go like long winded from here to there. No, no, no. It's fine. The reaction at, at first is like, all right, so what do we do? And then it's kind of just been having to hit a pause. Cause okay, I don't have opposition for the primary, so there's no get out the vote. And then there was the runoff. So it was another, all right, let's let them have their fight. We'll just sit back and watch. And so now I finally can actually like hit the gas and go. Yeah, that's and and I I think that the the fact that not having to campaign against somebody a, a fellow Democrat in their primary um, also increases the possibility of there being more money available for the campaign coming up till November. Yeah. Um, how is how is that going so far? I know you said your kickoff is coming up on Wednesday. Yeah. So fundraising actually by the end of this quarter and with what quarter one, I will have outraised what the previous or the last Democrat that ran in the race on um, right. what she raised in her entire campaign. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, going up against my opponent now, I mean, within the first quarter one filing, he had over 30 grand. And I've heard rumors that with all the pack money and stuff, it could be closer to 100 grand now. So it just makes me question if someone's running for a position that pays about 10 grand a year, right? Why do you need to raise 10 times that for it? Great question. And so I, that's why I'm just excited to get to actually debate and 
get out there more and tell voters, explain to them, like, I don't mind bringing my whiteboard with me to show people about like where this money's coming from. Cause I come from a teaching mindset. I'm going to try to go into teaching this fall with the County school. So I miss doing that kind of, like I said earlier, being the student mindset. So yeah, I just want to let voters be educated on what's actually going on because for me, the Republicans, especially in our area have gotten so comfortable that it's turned into corruption in some cases. Sure. And it's bad for everyone when we let that go unchecked. Absolutely. So based on the teaching mindset, uh, when elected, when 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 you start to look at which committees that you would like to be a part of, I assume education, state education is one of them. That would be definitely a top one in the Justice Committee. Um, those are just some of the areas that I've been really interested in and also anything with environment because that's a huge issue back home. Um, one of the biggest things I've been wanting to focus on in the campaign is making sure that we're talking about beach renourishment and actually con conserving the area there we've had so much rapid growth in the area but not any new protections added to state parks or expanding those areas gotcha um actually under redistricting they gave me the state or myrtle beach state park got added to the district now so i'm really happy to have that area there been going there for years and everything so excited to talk to like obviously it's a lot more tourists and stuff that come there, but you still have your few locals that actually like live in those areas and those neighborhoods. So yeah, excited to let them know they're actually part of the district. Cause a lot of people for this primary didn't know they had been drawn out. Yeah. We, we actually have family that lives in Myrtle beach oh, and perfect. when we go to visit them, they take us to Myrtle beach state park. So I have severely burned my feet <laughs> on, on the sand. <laughs> it was my own fault. I'm not going to, it blame. happens to the best. Of not, us. Yeah. I was gonna say, I'm not going to blame the, the sand at Myrtle beach specifically. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was a cause. <laughs> so to talk about your opponent, mm-hmm. uh, um, which, uh, I, I have to admit, uh, I, I didn't really find much information on his website as far as like what he stands for. He, he throws out the normal talking points about mm-hmm. infrastructure and development of, of economic or economic diversity or development, not diversity. Yeah. We, we, I, I, I specifically, <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that he has any plans about diversifying economics. Um, cause it's not on his website. No, but, um, this is also, he, this is his first campaign as well. Correct. And I, I have to assume that, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really throwing this out there, but he, he ran because the seat was open. Yeah. From my understanding, um, I mean, he has the same campaign manager as someone who ran for county council chair, someone else who ran for county council, Tom Rice, another state house rep. So anyone that was endorsed by, I believe, the Myrtle Beach Chamber all had the same manager. And to me, there definitely it was I feel like someone probably asked him to run. Sure. Um, He's been touting that he has a lot of different contacts in the state legislature and in the community. So I'm sure he probably was friends with the previous rep or someone else. So. Sure. But when it comes to representing uh, representing the, the 106th district, um, yeah. what what sort of demographics are we are we looking at as far as like the individuals? Because you know parts of South Carolina are heavily agricultural. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Myrtle Beach area, Horry County, Conway those are those are touristy. Yeah. Um, what 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 other demographics are will you represent and why do you think you will represent them better than a Val guest? 
I, I have a hard time with his name because it sounds it, it doesn't sound like a, a name that you would give someone. It's, <laughs> so it's actually not his real name. There um, we go. His, Joe Wilson's also not his real name. So in all transparency, my first name's David, but I've gone by Ryan ever since I was sure. born. So like that, but um, his name is Thomas Duvall Guess. So that was like on the filing paper and then seeing it on there. I was like, okay, because a lot of people thought Val was a girl whenever I first just started saying Val. They thought maybe short for Valerie. A lot of people did so. Admittedly, me too. See, and I don't know if maybe they were hoping that would be some sort of ballot name. Sure. I don't know. There's lots of strategy that goes into that. But speaking about our district, that's why for me, like if I was going to run, I wanted it to be where I was from because that area means the most to me. And so what demographics and what issues I think are really important are there are about seven or so schools in our district might be a little more. And now they added the technical college. So education's a huge issue. Yeah. Um, the district's about 55% female, I think after redistricting and what I'm really hoping to tap into is about 25% of voters are under 45 and of the ones that are under 30, like I went to school with half of them in high school. Gotcha. So a lot of these people I've known from being the political person in high school that I was up till now. So everyone's known me for saying the same thing and being consistent. And yeah. like uh, up until now, even with the primary elections, I had friends calling me saying like, okay, I'm going to vote. Who am I supposed to vote for? Like who are the people I like? And I'm like, well, usually you should research that on your own, but this is who I like for this. This is who I would vote for. And people have kind of just trusted my opinion on that. Cause I've been, a consistent voice. I mean, <clears throat> obviously a little bit more on the left, but it's been a consistent voice for what I believed in and thought was right. Yeah. I, I, I prefer, you, you mentioned being on the left, but I, I prefer to look at the, when, when it comes to having to designate what party you're affiliated with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have always been, I've always considered myself to be fiscally conservative, but socially liberal. Yeah. Uh, and when, when, so when I say something like that, people automatically get excited, especially in Columbia, <laughs> they're like, Oh gosh, you're fiscally conservative. You know, it's Republican view. And I said, ah, that's, that's not really, that's not really how this goes. Uh, I, I absolutely believe social services and I believe yeah. in, ex- I, I believe in the expansion of social services because I think that there are people that, that would benefit from, you know, that we, we've, we have had a system between capitalistic market and uh, and as far as uh, just the Republicans in power, we are continuing to degrade the middle class and push 100%. the middle class, yeah, push the middle class down into the lower class and and continue to see the rich get more rich, uh, which just it, it's it's creating such a gap um, that I think that ultimately it's going to take legislative powers to to correct this. Uh, because you can't continue to just let you let these corporations and things uh, expand to the point where the, it becomes almost just a working class, and, mm-hmm. and then that's all there is: working class, and then the people they work for. Um, but so, so with all that said, I I don't like to define people as being left or yeah. right. I think that that we all have respects to what we believe in in being they could be affiliated with, with one party or the other, mm-hmm. but because, because we, we, we come, we, we merge those ideals that it's, it's almost being able to say that I, or claim that I, I rep- that, that I believe in this and mm-hmm. this, that you can represent everyone. Um, not necessarily, you know, some of the crazier ideals on one side or the other, but yeah. that th- it's available. Um, when, when it comes to uh, campaigning, 
mm-hmm. uh, as as you're you're 21 years old. Yeah. Um, what is the reaction from from people that that you're you're trying to uh, encourage them to support you or to vote for you when it comes to the November election? Like, do do, do they give you any? Do, you know? Yeah. What sort of reactions do you get? So for a lot of the people that have been like in the county party or that have known me for a while, for them, it was like, okay, it was a matter of time for you to run for something. It was <laughs> kind of surprising to see it right out of college, which I wasn't expecting to do either. I thought I would be going to grad school in the fall, not running a campaign in the fall, but you know, just decided why not do it. Right. But everyone, I mean, it, some people at first, it's definitely a bit of a novelty of like, wow, you're doing this, especially like when they see the opponents and everything. Cause I definitely don't look like your typical candidate. I don't sound like your typical candidate. And with the government services and stuff you were talking about previously, like I live in a trailer park, I've been on Medicaid snap for most of my life. Like I understand the benefits of having those. And a lot of my lived experience was watching my family being a lower middle-class family and then just after 08, they tried to like, as a child, I didn't realize the finances, but after my dad passed away in 2011, I kind of had to help more with my mom with the finances because they were the Southern family. My mom didn't really do the business side of it. So after just doing that and then seeing us be pushed from lower middle class to the lower, lower class to where paycheck to paycheck and everything with that, like, sorry, it got a little off winded there. No, no, you're good. When it goes to campaigning, I think for a lot of people, my family's been in the area since my mom and dad were high school sweethearts, graduated in the 80s, been there forever. So like my family and my sisters have all been known of just being a hardworking family. My parents raised three kids that all were able to go to college on scholarships. And both my sisters now have like master's degrees, one's a doctor. And then the 21 year old decided, Hey, let's run for office. So <laughs> at like, that's what I was saying earlier with my mom being the best sidekick. She somehow knows everyone at every event. So anywhere we go together, it's someone looking at me as like, weren't you knee high last time I saw you? <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I'm all grown up now. And then I hand them a card and usually people, a lot of it with Southern politics, especially it's about knowing the person more so than the party, like right. you were saying. And that's where I'm really hoping that some voters will decide like for me um it's cheesy the song take a chance on me by abba has been like my campaign theme song but really for this like you've had republicans in power for literally all of my life and people have consistently been more apathetic with government not thinking anything's getting done and not to say the definition of insanity but you can't keep sending the same thing back expecting different results and my opponent, although his mailers will say he's a conservative outsider, has shown himself to be one of the same with the good old boys that are already in there. So right. if you want to actually try for something different, give me that chance to vote. And in two years, if you're not happy with it, I'll make sure you know where to vote if you want to vote me out. Like, I want to run a transparent campaign. That's what I believe an elected official should do. Yeah, And that just, like, another little tangent for the race. But that was one of the biggest things that upset me just from my opponents altogether was like in the Republican primary to start off, there were four of them and only one of them said anything about the Uvalde school shooting. There are like four or five different elementary schools in our school district, middle schools, high schools. That's a huge issue that people were hurting and wanted to see leadership. So to me to be silent just makes me wonder what's the point of running for office if it's not to be there when people need someone to make the hard decisions to 
say the thing that's not easy because that's what leaders are supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll get into, we'll yeah. get into some of the specifics of uh, the, the policies and, and procedures or uh, platforms uh, as far as uh, your campaign and, and what you'd like to do when you uh, get into office. Um, when, when it comes to, and we discussed this a little bit before we started recording, um, I, I have to acknowledge the Democratic Party in South Carolina is is really being representative in the in the election coming up by a lot more young and diversified group. Um, we're we're seeing uh, well, you twenty one mm-hmm. years old, um, you, uh, homosexual. Yep. Um, we, uh, we we what's the, I don't think there's any representation currently. So there is, and I had some people specify it for me, but I still think it's a technicality to say he's the first out. Um, Jason Elliott from the Upstate in 2018 was elected and didn't reveal his sexuality during that race, okay. and I think got outed afterwards, and then still won re-election. But to me, if I were to be elected, um, there's also my friend Chris Sally running in SC7 is also another gay person running. So I think there's two of us in the entire state, but. To me, to have the opportunity to be the first out and proud um, gay candidate or gay state representative would just be such an honor after the year of attacks on our community in the state house. And then more specifically, Horry County, where I'm from. Um, So early or last meeting in May, the council decided that they would approve the pride um, proclamation. It was just listed as a resolution. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but they passed it because they it was in the section for stuff that's usually not um, stressful. You know, no one usually has any comments about it. And then the very next council meeting, they rescinded it by a quiet vote, didn't read what the proclamation was, Uh. just did a quiet unanimous vote and it went out. And so... That also, to me, to show people that Horry County isn't this bigoted place that people think it is right now. Like, that's why the race to me is to be able to show that the South is changing and that my hometown, yes, has, I mean, we elected Russell Fry to take out Tom Rice, you know, I'm running for his old seat. So I think it would be a hell of a headline to say that the first gay rep or first gay Democratic rep were to come from Russell Fry's seat. But I think that just shows the type of voters we have there that when they want something different, they make it happen. I mean, you saw that with the SC seven race and I'm thinking there might be some other voters there that want something different than what they had in the state house. Absolutely. And, and, and ultimately because I, and I've said this with Matt Villardabo as well as Daniel Duncan, that um, when it comes to the representation of what's going to affect the citizens of South Carolina the most it happens in the legislative branch. Mm-hmm. I mean, county council's great. They they decide on roads and things like, you know, they decide how money is distributed. Um, but for the most part, the laws that are going to impact the people of South Carolina are going to be decided in the legislative. And I think it's important to have diversity of all sorts, uh, homosexuality, uh, minorities, women, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I, I found a quote on, uh, or I pulled a quote off of your, your website um, and we'll talk about women's reproductive yeah. rights in, in, in your opinion. Uh, but South Carolina ranks in the bottom 10 for female representation in our state legislature at 17.1%. That is ridiculous because I yeah. think in South Carolina, women make up more than 50% of the population. Yeah, I think they're at least 52, if not 55. Like my district as well, it's 55% female. Women have the political power in this state, but like um, it just goes back to Southern politics. Like you can't treat women in the South as a monolithic voting group. Cause I mean, white Republican women are the most anti-abortion in the country when you look at um, data on that. So 
you have to uniquely target the voters and not treat them like they're just this one group. You have to actually learn them and understand them. And I think a lot of it in South Carolina and just the South in general of a lot of times there's still people that believe in those traditional gender roles of politics isn't a woman's place. But I think now more than ever, it should be a woman's place because men have made it their place to legislate everything on behalf of them. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I am of the, uh, of the school of thought that there are three groups when it comes to issues. There's the group that's outspoken. There's the group that in one direction, there's the group that's outspoken in the other direction. Then you have that middle group that's mm-hmm. not saying anything because they have an opinion and, but they don't want to rock the boat with their families. Yep. Um, and, Ultimately, I, I, I think that regardless of what, well, no, not regardless, I would prefer everyone to be on the right side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, we, I, I, I acknowledge that when it comes to these issues, I'm kind of still thankful that voting is private for the most part. Yeah. Uh, where if, if potentially women do start running and women see other representation that, that they won't just, I, I, I run the election polls in Lexington mm-hmm. uh, out, out on the other side of Lexington uh, yesterday. And, I was, while no one crossed the line as far as uh, not, you know, it wasn't a husband telling their wife how to yeah. vote. Um, I could tell that there had been previous conversation beforehand. Yeah. Um, the only, you know, on the ballot yesterday was the two Senate, the two Senate Democrats, and mm-hmm. then the the two Republican state uh, se- education superintendents. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm still uncomfortable with the idea that there's there's someone probably dictating to their other half mm-hmm. that that how to vote um but yeah it's i i think oh, and I, that was another tangent sorry <laughs> no you're good i do the same thing <laughs> well i have a lot of thoughts in my head and and they're you know this is that's why i do this is that if i can somehow clarify and get them into one organized thought then i'll just publish an episode about it <laughs> perfect <laughs> um, uh but so because there's the potential of of there being two representatives uh, that are gay or homosexual in in state legislature for South Carolina, um, that opens up the possibility with decisions that were made in the Supreme Court last week, um, and we I, we have to acknowledge that Clarence Thomas, yeah, in his in his consent, uh, definitely definitely said these are the other things we're going after. Oh yeah, potential gay marriage, uh, the potential gay liberties uh, rights, uh, almost almost completely. Yeah, um, this is I I think that a very a very large group is is potentially going to be attacked over and over for, and 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 somehow because the Supreme Court is a group of nine individuals unelected don't really have to have any qualifications to do it some qualifications to get past you know a <laughs> certain group of senators yeah but they're making decisions uh that I ultimately believe should be federally protected Agreed. I'd like to see somehow the democratic controlled legislative and executive branch come up with a solution to protect, uh, gay rights by Mm -hmm. law, uh, women's rights by law. But I, 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 because there are so many, so many blocks in the way, the filibuster is, is unbelievably hurtful, uh, and not constitutionally protected. Yeah. So, uh, but the, I, I guess I, I, I recognize that, um, there's a good possibility that if, Republicans take over the House and the Senate in November, which they might not. It, yeah. It's the, I, I think they overstepped uh, with the uh, uh, reversal rovers way with the Dobbs. Um, I think they overstepped and they're starting to acknowledge that this was an overstep, that they mm-hmm. potentially could have hurt themselves pretty badly, which is good for Democrats. Uh, but if they get the control, 
I fear that they will put in place federal laws that will make it illegal across. I mean, and, and that's, and that is, that's scary. Yeah. Um, it'll be up to the states to actually enforce and create their own legislative laws to potentially keep that from impacting South Carolina and having representation that represents everyone, Mm -hmm. uh, I think would be the most benefit. I think that that way we could, we could come up with a solution for that. Agreed. Um, we're going to take a break real quick All right. Uh, and uh, we'll come back and we'll discuss your campaign specific to uh, some of the policies and such. Awesome. And uh, I, we'll be right back. This is the All About Nothing podcast. Hello out there in podcast world. I am the dad who dabs. My name is The Diligent Dabber. I am a cannabis enthusiast, patient, product reviewer, and I also make educational videos on YouTube. I have always promoted individual empowerment when it comes to people's experiences with cannabis. My show is a mixture of cannabis news, dad life, industry insider knowledge, and of course, dabs. Join me as I traverse the intricacies of life, the universe, and everything on The Dad Who Dabs. Find it on Spotify with a bonus video version available on YouTube. All right, Nothingers, I want to cue you in about a friend of the pod, Blank Canvas Brand. If you own a business or restaurant and the time has come to build that unique brand, you have got to get a hold of Blank Canvas Brand. Blank Canvas Brand specializes in brand identity, including logos, business cards, flyers, and anything else to promote your business. And now, Blank Canvas Brand offers printing services to help with your clothing needs, including sports teams. I can tell you from our own experience, Blank Canvas Brand is responsible for our logo, as well as the Bowl of Duty Bowling Team logo, and we couldn't be happier with what's been produced. For more information, you can search Facebook for Blank Canvas, or you can email Blank Canvas at theallaboutnothing.com. That's B-L-N-K-C-A-N-V-S at theallaboutnothing.com. You can find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick moment to mention one of our new sponsors, thepaintedmoment.com. That's thepaintedmoment.com. Check this out. Have you ever taken a photo with your phone or digital camera that would look amazing as a watercolor canvas painting? Well, now there's a website ready to take your photo and turn it into digital painted moments. This is how it works. Visit thepaintedmoment.com, follow the instructions, and your digital photo will be enhanced and returned to you with links on where you can have an image printed to canvas or whatever else you'd like to do with it. We've already got a couple of these enhanced photos hanging around the house, and trust me, you'll love what comes out. Thepaintedmoment.com. Create a painted moment in time from your digital photos. Thepaintedmoment.com. Seriously, check them out today. Thepaintedmoment.com. We have to thank our sponsor, GOT Sound Studio, and its owner and operator, Dominique Stewart, better known as Neek the Geek. GOT Sound Studios offers a variety of recording experiences from music, voice, and instrumental recordings and production, as well as podcasts. GOT Sound Studio is located in Columbia, South Carolina, and operated by the most talented producer and engineer in the business. GOT Sound Studio is a black-owned business. Bring your recording business needs here. You can find details on their Facebook page or by calling 803-243-2302 or emailing gotsounds at theallaboutnothing.com. That's gotsounds at theallaboutnothing.com. You can find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. This is Judd Larkins, and I am the Democratic nominee for the 2nd Congressional District, and you are listening to the All About Nothing Podcast. All right, welcome back to the show. This is the All About Nothing Podcast. I am Bear Gruber, joined again by Ryan Thompson, who is the nominee for the Democratic Party for House District 106. Thank you very much for being here, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you again for having me. 
First thing I want to ask, so your kickoff for your campaign yes. as the nominee, you said that's coming up. So where is your campaign kickoff going to be? So it's on McDowell Shortcut. It's actually at one of my friend's family's farms. So, oh, okay. Um, it's really cool because this farm, I used to pass it every day going to school and like always wanted to stop there, but I wasn't a kid that rode horses or had any good reason to be stopping there. Yeah. So um, it's one of my family friends, their son, he actually, whenever I went to file him and one of my other friends went to register to vote because they're both about to be 18. So um, they've been like little siblings to me throughout this, also helping with social media because despite being 21, I'm not the best at TikTok. So <laughs> sometimes like um, I would be the first Gen Z representative in the state house, but yeah. I still do not sometimes feel like a Gen Z, like especially having two sisters that are very much millennials. I kind of fall into that part of yeah. it, but Sorry, back to the campaign kickoff. <laughs> That's the ADHD brain I said earlier. But, oh, you're good. Um, Owens Family Farm on McDowell Shortcut. It's going to be on July 6th. So that's also my 22nd birthday. So oh. I wanted to combine them to have like take away the kind of off-puttingness that politics can have with stuff. Because some people are like, well, I don't know what to wear to a political event or what to say. And I'm like, well, although this is a campaign launch party, it's more of just a party in general and just yeah. meet your community and come here. Why I want to run to be your next representative. That's, that's very cool. Um, so, uh, you said it was a farm you drove past on the way to school every day. Yeah. And, and, and when it comes to Ori County, are there a lot of farms? Is there a lot of agriculture representation there? So it's actually really unique this or this farm in particular because right across from it is one that has been left to go that's now about to be rezoned for more housing. Uh. To the right is a multi-million dollar mansion that is about to be made into a church. To the left is a bunch of that's a whole nother story. Yeah. To the left of it is a new development of a bunch of trees that just got torn down and is about to build more houses. They've built like literally over three thousand houses on McDowell shortcut since like wow. the past or yeah within the past like five years or so there's just been so much construction so theirs is like one of if not the only family farm still there yeah so to get to have the event there's really cool because also as a fan of parks and rec i'm sure a lot of people know little sebastian they have many horses right now <laughs> so yes the event will have many horses which i'm really excited about that is very cool that is very cool um when it comes to uh your campaign and yeah. Uh, as far as what you want to bring to the table or, or what you would like to legislate or, you mm -hmm. know, um, what is your stance on uh, innovation, not innovation, I'm sorry, uh, as far as like um, the growth of, of yeah. the area? What, what is it that you see would be the best potential for uh, District 106? Yeah, so I've obviously, I welcome everyone that wants to call our area home and I'm excited to see all the new neighbors we have. But for locals and those of us that are here, we need to make sure we're building up our roads, our local infrastructure to support that movement. They had to rapidly build a bunch of different schools between the last like 2015 and 2020 because of all that growth. Because with unplanned growth, it just leads to unintended consequences that ultimately are going to cost tax dollars more right um a really it sounds like a random event but it's happened more than once now we had an alligator attack in a neighborhood not too far it used to be in the district before redistricting but um someone actually got killed by an alligator in a retention pond and it's not the first time we've heard of gators in the area yeah when you build on all of these places that used to be more pond areas you know old golf courses and then you build houses on them all of these animals that used to call that their habitat, we haven't added any more protected areas for them to go. And so yeah. they end up becoming a nuisance for people. And 
also it's not necessarily their fault that they don't have their home anymore, but also we have to make room for people. So we need to make sure that while we are advocating for that new growth, we're still protecting the people that are here as well as the wildlife and just making sure that we're building the needed infrastructure to keep up with the growth. Yeah. So you're looking at two potential bills, I guess, is uh, to, to add, to, to basically allocate money to, to help build up the infrastructure for uh, people living in around district 106, but as well as uh, we're looking at environmental protections, Oh um, yeah, which, you know, we, we talked about state parks and, and such, but like, um, ultimately I think that, that that's a lot of, a lot of what that comes down to. Cause Florida, you know, we, we go to Disney mm-hmm. occasionally. Um, and there was, there was a terrible uh, tragedy where a child was pulled into one of the Disney ponds and, and, and they found, uh, was killed by an alligator. So that's, that's really close to home. I hadn't heard anything about that. I have to assume that almost anywhere along the coast of South Carolina, you likely have the same sort of thing going on because there's growth all over. And, and, and with growth, again, like you said, it, it pushes the natural habitat. It pushes them out. Uh, so it does increase the possibility that there will be interactions that, of course, could event tragedy. I also wanted to ask about marijuana. Yeah. Uh, a number of Democratic candidates are pro-marijuana. Um, I, think, I think almost for everyone that I've spoken to so far, they're, they're all on, on board. South Carolina, for some reason, seems to be lagging behind. And I think, yeah. is, is, is your opinion that it's because of the stigma around the idea of marijuana? Or is it just we don't want to make money? See, I think everyone here wants to make money. And I mean, to me, you see on Facebook the meme of like Operation Pothole, legalize weed and fix the roads. It gets shared by everyone, you know, and we almost had it passed last session, but just one legislature legislator literally ruined it for everyone. Right. Obviously, I'm I'm going to be a vote in support of it because I see medicinal marijuana to start off with. We have to take baby steps in order to get bigger legislation. So let us start with medicinal marijuana with this conservative approach that they want. Show that it's not dangerous, that it can be a pilot program that can be expanded and then legalize it recreationally and let us tax it and let people start new businesses, make money. I see this as an issue that can help our farmers have a new crop. It can help business owners who want to use that to make their own dispensaries or make their own whatever. It's been a huge industry in other States. And then also a huge group. Um, when I interned for Joe um, on the Hill, one of the biggest calls we got was about the Moore act that was sponsored by Clyburn. And it was about um, federal marijuana legalization. And it, the most of the calls I got were from veterans calling about it because yeah. SC one has the most veterans. And we also have a lot of them here in our area. And I really feel like that's a demographic that a lot of people don't consider when thinking who would benefit from it. But I mean, the proof is in the pudding with the results that have come, especially with PTSD and other different um, mental illnesses that can come from being in war. And also just a huge thing that affects our area is opioids. Yeah. Like I have been to funerals of classmates or peers that have overdosed and like, I've been a huge advocate for Narcan. So that's something as a legislator legislator, I would also, Um, It's funny because like one of the things that made me run was as student body president, like you mentioned at CFC, a lot of the issues we faced as a student government or as a campus weren't anything the campus was doing. It was what the state house was telling us we could or couldn't do for Uh. our students. And that kind of goes similar there to policies around Narcan of like what liability you can have. So I definitely think we need to get into the 21st century so many states have been able to profit off of this yeah 
And then to me also, as someone who cares about just justice across the board, it's not fair for someone in our state to get arrested for something that someone a few states over is profiting off of. To me, that's just not fair. And I feel like if we do medicinal legalization and eventual recreational, we definitely need to be doing decriminalization and expungements with it to make sure that we're being restorative and fair. Yeah. And, and what you were describing where we were almost on the verge of of having uh, medicinal marijuana legalized here, except that the problem was, is the bill started in the Senate and because Mm -hmm. it was proposed as a, as a financial bill, as a, as a bill for um, budget, uh, it it moved into the house where it was shot down immediately because the South Carolina House is the only one that can create bills for for the budget or yep. for monetary. I know, like usually at least federal level, the House is the has the power of the purse. You know, right. they get to do the budget, and so I could see enough of the Republicans there of we're gonna follow what the rule or what their rules are, what they think is best. And I mean, if it also helps to kill a controversial bill, why not do it that way? Like, yeah. But I mean, it yeah. didn't seem like it was that controversial because it, it passed the Senate. Yeah. It passed the South Carolina Senate and then moved to the House. Is and, and, and this is one of those things when it comes to rules is I would hope that there would be at least someone in the House that would then go, OK, we have this bill. It's already passed the Senate. We're going to just we're going to rewrite it and repropose yeah. it. So it's for the House. Um, and and maybe the reason they didn't want to bring a vote for it is because the potential is, is that the that people wouldn't support it, despite the fact that. Marijuana still in even in South Carolina when surveyed South Carolina still shows something like 78% of people yeah. are people believe or people are in favor of legalizing marijuana. Um and and one of the big things that in my opinion on that and this comes from having having been in a family we owned land in Kentucky. Mm. Uh one of the things that we attention we wanted to do was uh raise hemp or grow industrial yeah. hemp because we can't even grow. We we have a few permits in South Carolina available to grow industrial hemp, but I, I it's 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 not something that I think enough people understand is that industrial hemp. When you add the the fibers of industrial yeah. hemp to just literally construction, concrete, asphalt, it it strengthens it almost tenfold. Um, you know, here in between us and, and Myrtle Beach, uh, Elgin and Lugoff have mm-hmm. been having earthquakes pretty frequently. Yeah, and I think that's probably freaking people out. I think that, that there's there's people you get you get two different versions of it, but I think the potential is is that that we could be seeing these lead up to something bigger or something bigger closer to the coast. It's just this is reactionary. Uh, I don't not a geologist. I don't <laughs> know enough about it, but. Um, but using industrial hemp to, to shore up our, you know, to for new bridge construction yeah. and 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 things like that, you're 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 adding something that is so inexpensive to grow, uh, and then the byproduct that you could potentially also get out of that is 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 growing hemp and marijuana for farmers that can't that, that aren't growing tobacco yep. anymore. They're not growing cotton anymore. We have farms that aren't growing the fabric or the the the, the necessities for um, the uh, the fabric industry yeah. here in South Carolina because. It doesn't exist. It's exactly. Just, it's, we don't have the mills anymore. Yeah, it's all been shipped overseas. Um, but to grow marijuana and 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 just the benefits from it. You mentioned earlier about casinos. Yeah. Um, I am I am absolutely a huge casino advocate when it comes to uh, the potential for jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I know that one of the things that gets attacked a lot of the time is that people say, well, you open casinos, you open up crime, and you open up all the... Um, it does bring more people. Yeah. Uh, but people... 
when when you're spent when you are creating more money in an area, you can increase the money for policing, you can increase the money for Indeed. protections and things like that. So the idea that you just open a casino and that's where you stop um, is asinine to me. Um, but as as a legislator, how 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 would you approach the potential of allowing it? Because we have in South Carolina, we have the potential of opening Native American lands to have casinos. Uh, I know that that was a big thing with the Catawba tribe, mm-hmm. um, which absolutely in favor of, yeah. uh, because I don't, I, I don't think that in my opinion, I don't think that we can do enough to try and, and, and strengthen the relationship with the native American tribes because of just how awful we've been throughout history. Agreed. Um, so as an advocate for potentially opening casinos, um, like what locations do you think you'd, you'd, you'd potentially see most benefit out of? Yeah. So like, I mean, I obviously think the Myrtle Beach area like ours would be a prime location. We already have some of the cruises that you can go on and go far enough out of the waters to where you don't have the rules there and can do it. And people have already come to our area to do it. So to me, like you said, um, obviously I don't think a casino is going to bring crime. We already have crime in the area. Crime is at an all time high in the state. And one of the biggest reasons for that is across the board, there's just staffing shortages, especially for police and other public safety fields. And if we're not going to be able to pay these people more to be in those positions, then we're not going to be able to hire them. And you can only do that by generating more revenue in the area. So to me, I think a lot of stuff you can do with just zoning. So if you don't want it near your schools, obviously like we still have a law that you can't have a tattoo shop within a thousand feet of a church or a playground, something else I want to change just I lived in Charleston. Like that was impossible for downtown. It's all churches and playgrounds. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So like bad for business there, but I think like a casino obviously um, would be supportive if native Americans would want that on their land, would like to speak with the tribal leaders to make sure that's something that they want. But also if it's an opportunity for them to be able to make money in an area, we already know that it's going to be, why not? You know, it seems like a win-win there. Like you said, there's not enough we can do to pay back the indigenous people here. So anything that we can do to try to be good stewards is what I think we should be doing as a government. Yeah. I, I I also have to acknowledge that Myrtle beach already has the infrastructure to support a casino. It's already a very heavily tourist area, responsible firearm sales in South Carolina. Uh, this has clearly been an issue, uh, with, um, what happened in Ivaldi. Yeah. Um, what happened in Charleston um, several years ago with the uh, Mother Emanuel Church. Mm-hmm. Um, we have in South Carolina, I, what I absolutely have to describe as it's, it's an issue of the availability of firearms. It's, it's the idea that there are a few people that think that their right to own as many as they can seems to be going unchecked. Mm-hmm. Um, I own several firearms and I am of the mindset that I don't need them. Uh, I have, I have uh, tried to come up with ideas of how I could potentially reduce the number of firearms I have uh, without allowing those to eventually make it back into the system where they could be purchased by somebody else who could potentially commit a crime with them. Um, I actually just learned, apparently there is a program uh, in Florida that, they are taking firearms that are being then taken to, uh, I believe, Ukraine. Oh, yeah. So so these are firearms that could potentially make their way over to Ukraine where they could be used to fight against Russia, um, which um, I, 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 any, any, any group that wants to oppress any other group, I'm, I'm firmly against. And if, yeah. they have to, if they have to fight the way that they do in Ukraine, I'm, I'm 
I'm in favor of. And if I can support it somehow, then, then I would. Um, but in South Carolina, uh, we, we, I don't believe that we have, and I don't think it's going to come from the federal level. I, I yeah. don't think that South Carolina has stringent enough uh, gun purchasing. And one of the things that I'd like to hear more of the legislators, Democrats, is, is I don't think we need to call it gun control. Mm-hmm. Uh, gun control was something that was shopped around and marketed by uh, the NRA and by the Republicans uh, as as a way to make it sound as though it's to, it's to instill fear that yeah. somebody's trying to control you. Um, but gun responsibility, I think, is how ultimately, from a social media aspect, is gun 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 responsibility or gun or firearm responsibility, firearm uh, sale responsibility. I think I think that adding responsibility to it is something that we could potentially do. Uh, and I'm not trying to push your no, legislation in a direction, <laughs> but from an elected standpoint, uh, like because you mentioned crime in in Myrtle Beach area in Horry County is at an all time high. I mean, it's recognized at you see national news about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, South Carolina is in the top five states when it comes to gun violence. What I'm concerned with is the people that can buy guns legally because they can pass a background check that that may have some sort of history of yeah. mental illness or something like that, and and that gets into another topic. But um, but that that allows for people to buy purchase firearms legally with a thought in their head of creating this mass uh, mass tragedies, these mass shootings, things like that. And when it comes to being a legislator, it's it's going to be difficult to push against the grain of that mentality. I yeah. I have to believe that most legislators look at that, and you know, not at a federal level, but a state level, they look at this, they look at the issues that we're having, and and and, and in their heads, they have to think, yeah, we've got to get this under control. The, if if mass shootings are being committed by somebody using the tool, which is the firearm. And and we can't we can't wrap our hands around the the mental illness portion of it, then wouldn't it just make sense to somehow eliminate or or at least cut down on the number of firearms that are being sold? Yeah. So as a candidate, what's what's something that you would approach someone um, on that subject? Like how if especially if they came from the side of you know the second the Second Amendment is is written by God, you know? This, yeah. This. So like I come from a lot of my mom's side of the family is very very conservative and so like they bought me a gun for my like 12th or 13th birthday like we're that type of southern family so I've grown up around guns and so like this is an issue that my position not necessarily has changed but has I realized it's not as black and white as that's the issue with all of the politics nowadays they want to make it black and white when really I'm a very gray person I see a, there's a lot of nuance with stuff like right um, a lot of the candidate surveys I was sent, it was either you support this legislation or you oppose it in any sort of thing with it where like there was no stretch, there was no explanation. It was just an absolutist answer, which I couldn't agree to. And it's like, obviously red flag laws, of course I'm going to support that. I yeah. think if you are a mental health professional and your patient tells you they want to seek harm to themselves or others, you have an oath to report that because first off, like, Pretty sure that's a, I'm not sure if that's HIPAA. I'm not a doctor, but it's just the right thing to do. I think that's what a lot of, to me, the way that I try to guide my mentality when it comes to issues is just, I don't want to represent for what the Democrats are supposed to do or what Republicans would want me to do. It's what feels right for the people in my district that I like whenever if i get the chance to the honor to be able to serve and vote let's assume you will let's assume so like when i'm up there voting it's it's those people that i've grown up with hearing their stories and the memories that they've trusted me with so like hearing from my friends that have experienced gun violence like my neighborhood i grew up with 
grew up in as a child had like a drive-by shooting when I was in elementary school. So not the same neighborhood now, but I mean, that's not the most experienced from firsthand gun violence, but is talking to people about it as gun violence prevention of like the number one cause of death for kids and teens now in America is gun violence. Right. That should be damning to anyone. And right. it doesn't have to be a conversation about, I don't want to take your guns, but what I want to do is ensure that we have these policies in place so that if someone is going to be a danger, there are coordinated ways that it doesn't have to just go to the FBI to get lost and not gone to. Because when you don't have those partnerships on the state level as well, information is not easy or it's not as easily tracked and it's not just put in a centralized place where people know. That's why you need to have local and state partnerships in this with a lot of different federal protections. Like it's great to have these federal protections. It kind of goes back to hate crime laws for me. Like I love knowing I'm protected for a federal hate crime, but to get that thing, you probably have to kill me. And, right. you know, it'd be nice to be able to say if someone starts with harassment or something like that on the state level so it doesn't have to bellow up into one of these events. And that's right. kind of what I see with the red flag laws and stuff like that, making sure that we can close the Charleston loophole so that we actually, I think most people should agree that we should have a background check to buy a gun. Like if you're a responsible gun owner, like everyone says they are, why are you afraid of getting a background check or having to wait three more days? You know, like, yeah, you're still going to be able to get the gun after. And I mean, I actually plan on going through concealed weapons to get my own just after safety concerns. I mean, I already brought up crime and stuff in the area, but also as a gay man running for office, you know, some people, we saw what almost happened at the pride event in Utah. Yeah. And Utah yeah, in Utah, I mix it up with Idaho, my Western States, but I mean, like they're almost the same. <laughs> a lot of them, they all just look like squares, not those two. But just <laughs> going back to the issue, though, like, I mean, when I was going to speak at Pride in Myrtle Beach, it was right after they had rescinded Pride. And not to like, I have to have hoped that my com and obviously my community, there wasn't any protesters. There wasn't anything. But after the way that they had presented that there was so many people upset and then just the amount of rhetoric you hear nowadays, especially with how they're attacking trans people. It's a right. slippery slope of one part of your community. And that's why anyone who's part of the LGBTQ plus queer mafia, whatever you want to call it, like whoever, if you're part of that group or care about people that are in that group, you need to see these attacks on trans people as an attack on everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I went from guns to that, but no, 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 I, no, but I, I agree. And, and, and I, and I have my concealed weapons permit, but I recognize that I'm not carrying now. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, most of the time I'm not carrying and I, I, and, and it, unless they somehow figure out a way to make guns more comfortable to carry. Yeah. But. They're not the most like aerodynamic. Yeah. Most, like, and I don't really want to wear one of those, like, you know, the like cliche for your phone type, like put it on your yeah. belt buckle thing. Yeah. I don't want to have to do that with that either. Yeah. So it's, I don't foresee me using it to carry that often, but sure. it is nice just for personal protection. And like, I want to make, I believe everyone should have that right to do it. That's not what any Democrats here are trying exactly. to do. And we need to get rid of that rhetoric of you can still protect your second amendment rights while also protecting the people around you. Right. Um, South Carolina is, I, I, I can't draw back to as many mass shootings in, in schools. I don't, I don't remember uh, anything off the top of my head as far as that goes, but there are conversations, especially school board elections coming up mm. and the state superintendent or the superintendent of schools coming up that there's discussions uh, in there about 
uh, allowing teachers to carry or promoting the idea that teachers should carry. Um, what is your stance on that? No. Okay. Flat out, no. To me, this issue is someone who, like I've said, has spent the last almost 22 years of their life in a classroom. You don't solve this issue by arming teachers with weapons. You right. arm them with smaller class sizes and the resources they need to do their jobs. A lot of times it's these schools that are just massive schools that have large class sizes where ultimately kids are going to fall through the cracks sometimes. And that's because our public schools are not funded the way they need to be. And when you look at South Carolina, we have a Republican Party that's poised to just start sucking all of that money away and putting it into private schools that we don't necessarily know what's going to be taught there if they have to meet the same standards or if every kid will even be allowed to go there. Right. When you attack public education at that level, it just has this erroneous effect on what people's priorities are. And it's showing children that they're not the main focus right now. And that's translating to safety. It's translating to what their teachers are supposed to be doing. Like I have friends that literally graduated two years ago and are already leaving the teaching force because they said they can't afford to live how they want to. And they're worried about getting shot at their jobs. Yeah. And no teacher that I know signed up to be a teacher because they also thought one day they might have to play police officer or play guardian. They already wear too many hats that are put upon them. The least we can do is arm them with the resources they ask us for. Yeah. Can I assume that if at a federal level, you're a legislator in South Carolina and the federal government says we are going to allocate this enormous amount of money to upgrade all of the schools to have more high tech security uh, to protect students. Um, I can, could I assume that you would vote in favor of something like that? Yeah. So that's actually something um, speaking of the four Republicans that were in the primary Howard Barnard. um, He's a school board member. Now he actually, after the Uvalde shooting cited it as why he secured extra funding in the Horry County schools budget for a new security sweep to go through of a third party to have another set of eyes just to see what they can do. And to me, that's a very smart move to make because why, yes, we need to make sure we're talking about community partnerships and allowing people to know where these safety needs are met. So it's a transparent thing. We also need to actually be taking actions for it. And so for me, I was very pleased to see that he was the only person that made any action from that tragedy or even said anything about it. So I respected him for being a leader there. And yeah, I don't see adding new security or something like that as a detriment to our schools, because I feel like any more extra funding we can get in our school would lead to infrastructure improvements inside of those schools. We have so many of them here that are in disrepair that haven't had the money they've needed for those basic infrastructure needs. So a lot of those schools would probably benefit from that type of big federal money that can be brought down. Yeah. That's also something I've thought about, like being a Democrat running. I know a lot of people in the state may not like Joe Biden. And at times he's not my favorite person either, but he will still be president for two more years. Right. As a Democrat, if I'm elected, I can use that federal position to try to get more money for the state and then be able to funnel that to the district. Yeah. And I feel like that's something some of the fellow Democrats may not be as apt to pick up. And it may not be the best strategy to be mentioning Biden. But if they like to use him as an attack, try to find a way to make it a benefit, because it is true that regardless what happens in the midterms, he most likely will still be here for two years. Right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. 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 Moving to. Uh, Medicaid expansion. One yeah. of the things that we suffered from with uh, the uh, 
the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, under Donald Trump, we had a situation where the federal government allocated more money to Medicaid, to, to expand Medicaid. Um, and South Carolina was one of the states that opted to say, no, we don't want the federal money. Um, as a legislator, what would be your your take on that? Yeah, so I'm all for expanding Medicaid. It's something that um, Governor McMaster could do anytime he wanted to. I know it's something that um, our Democratic nominee, Joe Cunningham, plans to do or would like to do once he's elected. And as a legislator, I've lived on Medicaid for most of my life. And the times where I wasn't uninsured or where I was uninsured, I now have like $4,000 worth of medical debt that is following me from a one night at the hospital, you know? Yeah. And there's too many people my age, but just too many people in general that can share that same type of story that are just one medical mishap from financial ruin. And the fact that we have that power to help so many other people, because when I was uninsured, it was because I fell right out of that Medicaid um, availability where they were like, my psychiatrist described it. He was like, you're basically screwed. He was like, you're too poor to get on this, but you're too rich to be on Medicaid. So too poor to afford it myself. But luckily back on insurance, thank God, because that's just, it's a blessing to have because not everyone gets to have it. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm only 21 about to be 22, but I've already experienced how bad that is in just that amount of time. I can't imagine for a family that has to go through that. I've seen it with my mom after my dad passed away. My sister's lost the insurance through him. My mom lost it. I got to watch her health deteriorate for a number of years until it got so bad she was able to get insurance because of disability because her health had deteriorated so yeah. bad. I think I think ultimately that that the unavailability of healthcare in this in this country for so many people is a crime. Uh, I mean, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was concreted into the declaration. And the fact that we still have such unbelievable gaps mm-hmm. uh, in what's available. Um, I mean, we see virtually the entire rest of the developed world has the availability of some sort of health care for, for their citizens. And I get, yeah, sometimes it costs more to live than those places for taxes. But yeah. ultimately, I, I have friends that live in Finland and when the conversation comes up about the amount that it costs or in Canada that, mm-hmm. you know, how much more they pay in taxes, that isn't that they aren't paying for a private insurance at that point. They're not, you know, they have the option exactly. of having extra insurance provided by a provider uh, that would cover potentially other things that, that regular wouldn't, but you know, so that's uh, that's one of the things uh, that, that I feel is, important is that in South Carolina, we actually should, should use the federal funding that's already available to us to expand Medicaid. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> it's, it's free money basically. Yeah. Like they put in, I think two thirds to what the one third we have to put in. Like it's not a way that we're going to lose money. And when you look at the numbers that are going to be able to have health insurance after being in a pandemic, it should be the morally right thing to yeah. do. And then just also like, to me, that also just gets back into like, why do you run for office if it's not to help people? Yeah. Well, and the propaganda behind the other side is that, oh, they're going to make us pay this back one day. They're they're gonna they're gonna this is you know this is going to be mm-hmm. part of the taxes is going to raise the deficit. I've I've already I've already promote or recognized the fact that uh, under Joe Biden we've seen the deficit already drop, mm-hmm. and it it dropped by three hundred fifty billion dollars and. By the end of this year, I think I think it's looking at something like one one and a half tri- uh, billion. Uh, no, one and a half trillion dollars is what he's been able to get. You know, based on we're not actively at war. Uh, I acknowledge that we are 
we have special ops that are doing things in Africa right now that that I would hope are doing things to make make it better for people living in Africa. Uh, but we're not spending a trillion dollars a year on a war that's unending. I, I'm not in favor of how we got out of Af- Afghanistan, but I'm not intelligent enough to tell you how we should have gotten out. I just knew we should have. That it, it took a while, so I'm, I'm in favor of that. But there are so many things of misinformation that get put in place when it comes to the federal government versus the state. And I, I'm in favor of acknowledging that the federal government is not the state's enemy. Agreed. The federal government is there to support the states. And that's why it's important that we have people in place that, that recognize that and, and, and take that availability to, to help the, the, the South Carolina, that sort of thing. Um, women's reproductive, obviously, re- reproductive rights is clearly on everyone's mind right now. Yeah. Um, South Carolina will likely uh, ban abortion. Um, I don't know what the, the, the situation is going to be as far as like what the limits are going to be, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's uncomfortable. Uh, I have, I have always up until recently, I've always been in the mentality that while I don't like the idea of abortion, uh, it's not my choice. It's not, it's not for me to decide. And I think that for some that takes on a, an idea that I just want to keep my hands out of it. Mm -hmm. I've changed that. I absolutely believe that it is my, it it is, it is my, my opinion on it is counts that, that I, I, because I believe that by removing the ability for a woman to uh, control or by, by no longer federally protecting a woman's right to choose uh, her own medical, you know, how Mm -hmm. her, you know, basically what could affect her for the next two decades uh, that it has created a situation that has made women lesser in the community. Um, You've, you've eliminated a Liberty that has been around for 50 years. uh, And we talked about before, but, Clarence Thomas, in his consent, has has basically laid out the groundwork to eliminate a lot of other things. Yeah, uh, he it, it's clear that he wants to go after gay marriage. Uh, he wants to go uh, again. He wants to go after privacy in the bedroom. Um, there's the potential that we could be seeing a uh, the fall of interracial, or, you know, an attack on yeah. interracial marriage in this country. Um, as a, a gay man, what are your feelings on? First of all, the the perspective uh, from your or your perspective on women's rights, uh, but as well as you know, what is what what is that what does that do to you when you think that he could come after you as well, or that the Supreme Court come after you? Yeah, so I'll start with the most topical one of just the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's um, I took a civil liberties class my last semester at school because you know possible thinking about going to law school in the fall and then. You know, we're here on the campaign and the court case I had to do a briefing of for class was um, Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Okay. So to see that one also be overturned was just what we were taught in class of like, we know it's about to be debated, but we were taught stare decisis and to look at precedent and just show that Roe was the law of the land for almost like 50 years or so. And that is what people relied on to make those decisions. And so removing something as crucial as that it just rips away so much of what people just came to know. And when you return that power to the states, while they try to make it this argument of states' rights, what it ultimately does is disenfranchises so many people in these states where, look at South Carolina. We've been a Republican supermajority literally my entire life now. And like we said earlier, only 17.1% of our legislators are women. So 
they're not even able to be equally represented on any level to debate policies onto themselves. So first and foremost, I'm proud to support women's rights, proud to support reproductive rights, because that's what it is. It doesn't just affect women. It affects everyone that's part of that community, part of that family. And another way with like in South Carolina that just personally is really disheartening um, how far it goes, like with the personhood bill, if they fully ban it, IVF, I have loved ones that have embryos in the state that if it goes out, they're going to have to find a way to move them to a different state where it's safe. And I don't think people realize that's how far it goes. You probably know a child out there that's born because of IVF. My twins are IVF. We had, we had 10, we had 10 grade A embryos. Um, two uh, embryos resulted in my two daughters and uh, they will be eight in October, that's but amazing. eight, eight, grade A embryos, I had to give up for adoption. So they are no longer in my control, but I went through the process. My wife and I went through the process of making sure we, they were adopted. Um, I couldn't control as far as after the adoption, what happens, but I was, I was at least, we were at least assured that they were going to go to someone who did not have embryos to support a pregnancy or that, that, that they couldn't create the embryo that, you know, something was involved. So, you know, my daughters may have siblings running around somewhere, which is fantastic. Uh, but again, if with, with what you're discussing, the potential is, is that someone, someone is now going to have to pay or, or in a situation where, you know, IVF in South Carolina is expensive anyway, insanely expensive and inaccessible already. So to do this type of ban, just, it makes it not only inaccessible, it makes it impossible. And those are families like yours that want children. Like it's, yeah, it seems completely backward to the whole pro-life narrative that these are families that genuinely are trying to do everything in their power to be able to have a child. And then you just rip that away from them. Yeah. Then also like just my friends that are around my age that have the rape stories and it shouldn't have to be something like a rape or incest or the life of the mother. It should just be, you get to have a choice because you're a human being who's allowed to make choices for your body. Yeah. Bodily autonomy to me is a huge issue just in general, because to me that's should be like one of the natural, natural rights, just something you are fundamentally allowed to do with your person. Because if you're not in control of yourself, like what's the point of life, you know, like it makes the whole, whatever reality you're in not seem like it's real. If you're not even in control of what you can do to yourself, if someone, when someone else can legislate that right kind of goes to these other decisions where, like the ones that they've laid out next, they'll go for contraceptives because without um, Planned Parenthood as precedent, I mean, your argument there, it makes it a lot easier to get rid of that. And then you literally won't have any way to stop from getting pregnant. And then they'll go with Obergefell, which will get um, in marriage equality. And then after that with Texas, just the fact like, that's why for everyone you need to be paying attention to what's going on because it's not just women's rights yet. That's right. where it's starting. They already have been attacking the trans community for years. They've made them the boogeyman out of the LGBTQ plus community. So we already see what they've been attacking. And now, like we were discussing earlier, Republicans have been planning this since Roe was decided. They yeah. are the masters of the long-term game. I'll give them that. They are stubborn, and that's why they are trying to make things the way it was before these laws were passed. They have held on and organized and we have to show that we have the capacity to do the same because 
I would like to get married one day, you know, and I don't want to have to go to a different state. I should be able to get married in my home state because this is the area I love and I'm from. And I want that for anyone. And I'll be damned if someone's going to do change that for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I think for anyone to try and impede on somebody else's happiness, which I think part of the ruling last week impacts people's happiness. Cause I said, mm-hmm. it's you're, uh, if you're forcing someone to carry out a pregnancy, either you're forcing them to consider their own death, uh, because pregnancy is 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 a terrible event on a woman's body, uh, but you're also condemning them for the next two to three decades potentially. You know, there's this there. One of the talking points that I always hear is that you know you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You get if you work hard, you can. <laughs> no, that's it's not the case. It's 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 the 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 system is built. Uh, the system has been built. Uh, to to keep people where they're at, and I feel like in 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 this day and time, essentially the idea of uh, condemning women to carry out pregnancies that they potentially it wouldn't have even have been it wouldn't have been even a viable yeah. <laughs> a viable fetus or anything because Plan B pill they take the night after they take the morning after uh, or a couple of days after uh, uh, you know whatever they had going on I you know that would have just ended it it wouldn't have been an issue um so i think though what we're gonna have to look at and i'm putting this in your ear basically is that you you probably already know this but it's gonna take compromise Mm -hmm. so in in the event of uh somehow making south carolina sort of a, a a haven state uh to the potential of uh women having abortions um it's gonna take compromise yeah it's gonna take it's gonna take working across the aisle with republicans to say look you know, there's enough medical research to indicate that a viable a viable fetus is not at the the six weeks. Mm-hmm. It's it's technically not even at ten weeks. You know, I it's 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 going to take working with them to say, okay, we're not saying just full out abortion, but we're we're at least willing to say, you know, what's the cut? What is what is the cutoff? You all are willing to help us out of this because you're working in a way to uh, to basically delegitimize women. Um, it's yeah. It's, it's, I think it's appalling. So the last thing I want to ask about is something that involves, we, we, we already talked about it a little bit, but from uh, an LGBTQ plus uh, yeah. stance, um, South Carolina sometimes comes across as feeling is not the most favorable. Yeah. Um, we talked about you being in office and, and you and potentially Chris Sally. Um, so the two of you uh, being um, a couple of the, at least from the democratic side, right? Yeah. Um, being um, the first uh, to come out and 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 be represent or representing the LGBTQ community, um, that is that to me that's fantastic. I'm disappointed that it hasn't already happened. So yes, Jason Elliott like gets to be the first technically with it, but I personally would rather it be someone that has been out from the beginning because for me, I've never been able to have that privilege or ability to hide it as part of who I am. Like. Yeah. Growing up, like, I was labeled being gay before I even knew what the word meant in elementary school. Yeah. It's just pick that on me. So I grew up already having that label as part of that identity, and I tried to remove it, tried to do all of that stuff, pray the gay away. You know, the I was raised Southern Baptist, and genuinely, I hate as cliche as it sounds, but the, it does get better. I mean, I'm living proof of that a lot of what I've done and it's um, Gilda Cobb Hunter representative Cobb Hunter yesterday at the training we were at said like 
if you need any three words to take you to November for what you're doing, it's in spite of. And pretty much everything in my life that I've been able to like prove or overcome, it's been in spite of people saying that I shouldn't have been able to do it. And a lot of that was related to being gay. But with other stuff, like I've always just been a politically minded, active person. And it's allowed me to build a lot of inroads with people who like have told me I've never had a gay friend before or really like talk to someone who was and not that I think I'm any ambassador of the gays <laughs> or anything like I'm not running to be that candidate but I hope that my candidacy shows that pe queer people in politics should be more normalized and if you want a truly representative democracy you do need to have people that aren't afraid to be out and proud and represent their communities because when you discuss policies about sexual education or about HIV and AIDS policies that go into community funding for those projects like that was something I did a lot of research on in college because I was really just interested personally and then just seeing the lack of funding that we have in this state and the yeah. public health resource or public health results of it like you need to have people there that aren't just lobbyists or have to give testimony if you have someone that has that lived experience that's how I get to work with my colleagues if I'm when I'm elected up there of if if I'm elected for two years, I'm not concerned on my reelection or what's next. I'm concerned on getting as many results done in that two years yeah, and being absolutely. a problem for that two years. Because yeah. I know any time a Democrat gets elected, your time is not promised to you. So you better make the most of it while you can. And that's really what I'm going to try to do with that. And just one of the biggest things is I want to make sure we get a hate crime law. That's one of the first things that started my interests in politics when I realized like, we still don't have this. And then after the mother Emanuel shooting, they still weren't able right. to. And last session, we almost had it again, but failed by a budget thing. You know, it's, we've been so close on policies that genuinely would be meaningful. We are still one of two states in the country without a hate crime law. We helped inspire the 09 Hate Crimes Prevention Act because of a murder in Greenville in 2007 yet we still can't do it on the state level. That's crazy. I just, I have to have hope that South Carolina is better than this. When it goes to like about not being a state that's welcoming, so many of my friends after school, they went out of state to go find jobs or to go somewhere where they felt more accepted just politically or also sexually for other people. But I always was raised with you leave something better than you left it. And I don't want to have to leave my home state. I love where I'm from. I love the people. I love my hometown. I don't think we're what a lot of people have this stereotype of the South and are. I believe we're better than it. And I just hope to give voters that chance to show they're better than it. I, I agree. And I and I appreciate you coming on the show. I think so much. Uh, the, the one thing that I want to wrap this up with specifically is where can people find information to donate? Because ultimately campaigns need money. And and while while you know your opponent is already raising uh, significant amounts, um, I think to to give our listeners the ability to find that. So where where yeah. can we where can we donate? Yeah. So I'm on Act Blue, which is the most popular platform for Democrats. If you just search Ryan Thompson on there, or go to my website Thompson4SC. I'm also really active on social media, so follow my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, also at Thompson4SC, and just 
Thank you all so much for listening and thank you for having me. It's been an honor. No, and I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I honestly, I look forward to uh, more conversations. I, Likewise. I, I, w- I want to try and work out to come out there uh, for your for your uh, campaign kickoff because that would be awesome. I think I think that would be a blast. Um, let's do a paranormal investigation. We got yeah. some, we got a lot of haunted places in Horry County. Let's do it. I, I, I would love to. I just need a place to stay overnight. <laughs> I got a spare bedroom. There you go. That'll Perfect. work. All right. Ryan Thompson, uh, Democratic nominee for the uh, House seat in District 106 out of Horry County. That includes Myrtle Beach. All of South Horry County. So Myrtle's Inlet, Burgess, Surfside, Garden City. And then they just added some parts of Myrtle Beach in it. So make sure you check your registration because some of y'all have gotten moved out into other districts and some of you are um, now part of 106. And I'm happy to have y'all. All right. Well, then uh, we'll, we'll make sure to do that. Also, uh, just quickly, the South Carolina, uh, as well as across the country, they're having issues with finding people to volunteer for the general election coming up. Uh, want to make sure that if if you are able, if you can take time off of work, uh, if you're retired, whatever, um, please at least consider contacting your county uh, election board because they need help. And it's going to take a lot of people for this election. I think I think it's going to be a big turnout. As always, thank you, Nick the Geek, engineer and producer, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. Check out details on how you can utilize his talent and production expertise at GOTSoundStudio.com. Thanks to Muff the Producer. You can follow him on Instagram at Muff the Producer. Thanks to Shiana Rivers for our intro and outro. Follow her podcast, Who You Callin' Holistic. As well, a thanks to Trent Clark, a.k.a. DJ Lonzo, currently entertaining the main course in Columbia, South Carolina. Make sure to go by, have a good time. You can contact Trent for all your entertainment needs. Trent at TheAllAboutNothing.com and on Instagram at the real DJ Lonzo or by phone 803-262-7982. If you enjoy the show, consider becoming a patron by visiting our website and clicking on the link at the top of the browser. That will take you over to our Patreon page. You can find details on how you become a supporter. You can check out our benefits there or just consider a donation so that we can continue to bring you this nonsense. We enjoy doing it. We enjoy you enjoying it. As always, you can follow us on Facebook. Just search for All About Nothing US on Twitter and Instagram at AAN underscore pod or find links to all of our social media and available podcasts podcast platforms by visiting theallaboutnothing.com. If you'd like to be heard on the show, you may call and leave us a message, 803-672-0533. If the time between these episodes is too far apart, you can fill that time by checking out our partner podcast. Zach and I host What the Pod Was That with Carrie Simmons, available on most of your podcast platforms. You can visit whatthepodwasthat.com for links and details. Carrie and Chrissy host Status Macabre on most of the podcast platforms as well. Find details at statusmacabre.com. As well, you can check out our own DJ Lonzo's Top 5, hosted by Trent Clark available on most of your podcast listening platforms. Ryan, thank you very much for being on the show. I look forward again to further conversations. And uh, as as the last thing I'll say, I have to at least offer Val Guest the ability to, if he would like to come on our show, he just has to understand he's going to be subject to the same interview and the same questions. So uh, we would would extend the interview to him uh, as far as being on the program and at least expressing himself. Uh, So Val Guest, you can contact the show at theallaboutnothing.com. So... Ryan, thank you very much for being on here. And uh, I, I, like I said, I look forward to other conversations because I, I, I really hope that you, uh, your campaign is successful and that we see you in office. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for having me once again. It's been awesome. All right. Thank you, Ryan. This The All About Nothing podcast is recorded live from the Maddie Johnson podcast studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. The All About Nothing podcast is produced and engineered by Neek the Geek, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. To support the show, please visit theallaboutnothing.com for links to social media, merchandise, and more. Become a patron of the show by following the Patreon link at the top of our page. The All About Nothing podcast is an entertainment product of Barrett Gruber. Special thanks to Zach King, 
Trent Clark, Muff the Producer, Neek the Geek, and you, our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you're on YouTube, please hit the like button and the notification bell. Thank you for listening. The All About Nothing podcast is a part of the GOT Podcast Network and a product of Bear Gruber Entertainment and Media.